Father, thank you for claiming us, for declaring who we are in you. God, as we search the rest of this world for answers, for identity, for our worth, God, we're thankful that you are already there and you meet us wherever we end up and you remind us that no matter what we fill our lives with, that you are always there. So God, in a loving way, I pray that you help us peel back the things that we fill our lives with that keep our minds and attention off of you. And just remind us daily, God, that you are what we need. You sustain us. Everything good that we have is from you. God, help us to be people who share everything we have. In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futile of, er, futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sens sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Awesome, thanks so much. You want to turn me down just a little bit? That would be awesome. Don't want to yell at anybody today too much. Hey, we are in a series this fall in the book of Ephesians. And so Ephesians is a letter that uh, this man named Paul is writing to this Jesus community, to this church in the first century, really only a couple decades after Jesus walks the earth and after he ascends into heaven. And to do that today, I need to talk with you a little bit about Sunday night football. And so a few weeks ago, you guys were gathering here together, and I was on my way to Kansas City for the Bills and the Chiefs game. I just want to say to those of you who texted me, go Chiefs, Happy Pastor Appreciation Month, all right? <laughs> uh, I had a great time uh, with some good buddies um, at this game, but I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the power and the pull of the crowd. You know, I'm wearing Buffalo Bills gear in a sea of Kansas City Chief red, and I know you're going to be shocked to hear to know that there were some fans who had some ideas about my choices. We'll just put it that way. No matter if I was standing in line to get something to drink, using the bathroom, or just sitting there minding my own business, I got to hear the opinion of the crowd. Like, there's a power to the crowd. There's a pull of the crowd. And that's just part of being a human being. And Paul is saying, I'm telling you and insisting in the Lord. So he throws down the God card, the Lord card. Like, I'm telling you this, and I'm insisting in the Lord. Like, no longer live like the Gentiles do. 
And really what he's saying is that you must no longer live like God's grace won't call you to change. Like a lot of times I think when we talk about grace, we talk about grace in the past, that God has given us grace. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us new life. But we misunderstand grace. We mishandle grace. Anybody had a moment when someone handed something to you and you mishandled it? Like a plate that was a little bit too warm, mishandled the plates. Or something that was a little bit slippery, grabbed a gallon of milk, not by the handle, but by the underside. Anybody been there in life? We are handed things that we mishandle. And I wonder if grace is one of those things. Like we think of this in the past, we've received it, but it's important to know that yes, that's true. We have received that grace, but we are also in the place today of receiving grace. That is not only past, but it is present. But it gets even better than that because there's also future grace. Like there's going to be grace tomorrow. Like there's going to be grace in this coming week and you're going to need it and I'm going to need it and we're going to need it together. And so Paul wants the Ephesians to know, he wants us to know that we can't live like God's grace isn't going to ask us to change. That it's not going to ask us to be transformed, to be renewed, to be different people. And Paul has spent the first three chapters of his letter talking to them about the saving power of grace. So we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, that we've been adopted, we've been brought in to his family, and we've been forgiven And we've been included and we've even been marked. How beautiful that we're adopted, that we're forgiven, that we're included, and that we're marked. And then he goes on in chapter 2 that this grace has done a couple things. It's made us alive. What else has it done? It's, It's raised us up. It's seated us with him. It's brought us near. Those are all things that, yes, have their genesis, their beginning in the past, but they continue in the present, and it will be that way tomorrow, too. They will walk into the future. Grace is not just a past work, but it's a present work, and it's a future work, too. But now, Paul's going to move from talking about the saving power of grace to what I would call the formative power of grace. He's going to talk to them about how it's to change them. The idea is that they would move away from the old and that they would embrace the new. Paul says, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to get comfortable with being different. You need to get comfortable with resisting the pull of conformity I got these magnets from Amazon this week. They're really hard to pull apart, which proves the point that I'm about to make. That there is this pull in life that we all experience. And resisting that pull is difficult. And Paul says, hey, you need to understand and live in such a way that you resist the pull to just be like everybody else. To resist that temptation. Because it's something that's going to happen in your life. Soren Kierkegaard, 
1939, said this. Sorkin Kierkegaard, he's a 20th century philosopher, okay? Uh, He says, there is a view of life which conceives that where the crowd is, there is also the truth. And that in truth itself, there is need of having the crowd on its side. Hello? There's a view of life which conceives that where the crowd is, there's also the truth. And that in truth itself, there is need of having the crowd on its side. So, so the truth isn't powerful enough alone. The truth needs something. The truth needs the crowd. And this is in an essay called The Untruth of the Crowd. And he goes on to say, we don't have time to read it all today, and it's really, it gets really deep really fast. It's like a pool that you're in, been in one of those in life, and you're like, oh, this is pretty shallow, and then boom. That's sort of how Soren Kierkegaard works. But he says the bigger the crowd, the more likely it is that there's more untruth in that place. And Paul wants these Ephesian Christians, these followers of Jesus, to resist the pull of conformity. To live and move and breathe like everyone else. And so I think today it brings us to this truth. That one of the most spiritual things that I will ever do in my life. One of the most spiritual things that you will ever do in your life. Is choose. There's a lot of spiritual things we can do. A lot of spiritual things we can do in life. A lot of choices are going to impact our spiritual way of life, but one of the most crucial, one of the most significant, one of the most common, repetitive things we will do, our most repetitive act of worship unto this holy God is choose. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is standing before all of Israel and he says this, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, and I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses, now choose life so that you and your children may live. It's a very spiritual moment. Choose life that you may live. And then later in the book of Joshua, Joshua 24. This is the passage, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Growing up, we had a little door knocker that said that. So every time you like knocked on our door, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I just have to tell you, as one of the children in that house, we were like growing into that idea. So Joshua 24, 15, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. One of the most spiritual things I will do is choose. It turns out one of the most spiritual things I will not do is sing songs in a room with a bunch of people. It's actually that I'm going to choose. It's actually that that worship is going to flow out of this place. And Paul wants these Ephesian Christians to think about that today. And, you know, what are we going to choose to chase in life? What are we choosing to reject in life? What are we choosing to build in life? What are we choosing to speak? What are we choosing to affirm? What are we choosing to believe? What are we choosing to value? And what are we choosing to love? Those choices shape our soul and our life with God in ways we probably don't even realize. But then Paul does something really interesting. Verse 17 
I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He lifts up this behavior. A behavior that shapes so much of our existence. And he doesn't lift up a behavior that we might think he might lift up. That they're doing something. He lifts up their thinking. And so if you ask Paul, I believe Paul would tell us that the things we do are reflections of how we think. And he says that the way that the Gentiles, people who are not in relationship with God, are thinking, it's futile, like it's empty, it's meaningless, it's not working. Pretty soon the snow is going to fly. And you're going to see, I'm sorry, I just depressed half the room, your face is just like, I just saw your shoulders, like, I'm sorry. But if you're going to live around here, I just need you to like embrace that a little bit. And you're going to be people driving around and you're going to see star- cars get stuck. We live right by Augustana University and that will like happen. We'll see college students out there trying to get their car unstuck. And what happens? What's the temptation when you're in your car and you're stuck and you're just, you're spinning your wheels, right? You got no, nothing anchoring you, nothing that's propelling you forward. We're just like, putting that pedal to the floor and you smell that rubber. Right? This is what he's saying. The way that the Ephesians are thinking, like you're not going anywhere, it's empty, it's meaningless, it's futile. You need to start thinking differently, Paul wants to say. So resist the pull toward that conformity. So I think it just brings a question for us today, like what's on our mind today? Like, like, are there ways that we need to start thinking differently about ourselves? Are there things that we need to start thinking differently about God, about the other people in our lives? And maybe a really good practice for us would be just to write down how we think of ourselves. Because I think if I just asked you right now, gave everybody a sticky note, I'd give these people yellow ones, these blue, green, pink over here. And I just asked you to write down two or three things about yourself. Can I just tell you that I would have a very different opinion than what you're writing down of you, probably. The person sitting next to you would probably have some different things to say. And that is maybe the evidence that we need renewal in our thinking. And then verse 20. He says, you didn't come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's making some assumptions about the Ephesians community about what they have been taught, about what they have learned. And the first assumption that he makes is that they were taught to put off the old self. So I want you to think about, like, your after-work clothes. Maybe a little bit different than your work clothes. And I know 2020 blurred those lines a little bit. But I'll tell you, when I'm hanging out in my house, I'm not wearing this. I will not be wearing this to watch the Braves win the World Series tonight. I will not. I'll be, watch, I'll be wearing something different. I'm a man of faith. And Paul's like, hey, like, 
You need to put off those clothes because I've got new ones for you. Because the grace of God, don't assume that the grace of God is not going to challenge us to change. It's not going to call us to change. It's exactly what the grace of God is going to do, by the way. It's going to call us to live different lives, to resist the pull of conformity. He says this in Romans. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he says it again in verse 14, just for the people in the back who couldn't hear him. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord, Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So the first assumption Paul's making is that there's something to put off, to take off in your life. And this is an identity statement more than it is a behavioral statement. This is not just like what you used to do, but this is who you used to be. And nobody knows this better than Paul because Paul has not always been a preacher. He's not always been a pastor. He's not always been someone who is seeking to share grace with other people. He was a persecutor of the church. He killed people in the church. He worked against God. But then in the book of Acts, we have this really beautiful moment of grace in Paul's life that there's change and there's renewal and there's life that comes. And so it isn't just that Jesus' life and death and resurrection somehow like changes our behavior. Like that's not what the resurrection does, but his victory over sin and death and hell changes our identity. And that identity changes the choices that we make and that identity changes the paths that we choose. So don't hear this being about behavior today. This is about identity. This is about who he says who we are. And that changes, of course, our choices. And then in verse 23, they've been called to put off the old and they have been made new in the attitudes of their mind. And this little phrase in the original language, uh, to be made new, is, there's two interesting things about it. Interesting thing number one is it's in the passive So that means it's not our work, but it's God's work. God has done it. I have not been made new because of my own intellect, because of my own experiences, because of my own power, because of my own perseverance, because of my own desire even. I have been made new by him and through him, not in my spirit, but in his spirit. So it's passive, it's God's work. So that verb is in the passive. We also see that that verb is an infinitive, which sounds like infinity, right? So that means it's ongoing. So it includes tomorrow. So we're not done <laughs> being made new. Like if you're in the back of the minivan asking if we're there yet, no, we're not. Like we've not been completely made new yet. We're in process. We are on the way. Timothy Keller uh, has this amazing quote from this book. The the gospel is the dynamic for all heart change, life change, and social change. Change won't happen through trying harder, but only through encountering the radical grace of God. We don't get saved by believing in the gospel and then grow by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. Believing in the gospel is not only the way to meet God, but also the way to grow in him. So Paul says, hey, you have been called to put off the new 
and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then number three, that they were called to put on the new self. So they had an old self to take off, a new attitude of their minds to take on, and then they needed to put on the new self. And my hunch, if we could dig around in Paul's mind and heart and experience, I think it would be that there's a lot of naked Christians walking around. I couldn't find another way to say that, so I'm just going with that today. So if you're new, welcome to Invitation Church. (laughs) That we've put off the old, and we've embraced a, a new mindset, a new way of thinking, but what's happened, we've not put on the new self yet. Like, like we're still walking around like everybody else. There was this a moment in the first quarter of the Chiefs game, and I'm in sea of red. I've got my Josh Allen jersey, and people saying stuff about Josh Allen, and I'm here for it. It's all good. But there was a moment when Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Chiefs, had this incredible pass. And what do you think I did? I like started clapping and cheering. Because the crowd around me is doing that. And then I like looked at my buddy Chad. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> like, isn't the crowd powerful? Doesn't the crowd shape us? Doesn't the crowd disciple us? Doesn't the crowd call us? And Paul's like, no, I need you to be different. You need to put on the new self. Because there's a lot of followers of Jesus who are not clothed in the new way of life. They're naked. And there's this guy, Richard Rohr, who says this to us. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine for change. And we know this. Love has changed our practices. If you love someone, if there's someone in your life that you feel love toward, my hunch is they have changed something about you. They have changed an activity that you give your mind, heart, and attention to. That they change what you notice. I will tell you, without being a parent, I would not have chosen to watch thousands of hours of animated cinema in our basement. It's not a choice I would make, but they love it. And so we do that together. Right after Michaela and I got married, there was this TV show called Top Chef. And she loved this show. And I was not a top chef, so we watched it together. This is not a choice I would have made on my own. And those are silly examples today of how that is true. That love that we have for other people has changed our practices. And so there's just a question from the Apostle Paul to us us today. Like, has the love of God changed our practices? Like, have we put on the new self? Have we been made new in the attitude of our minds? Have we put off the old self? Paul's assumption is that to follow Jesus is to embrace all three of those moments.
So why hasn't change happened? Like, why doesn't it last? Change hasn't happened and it hasn't lasted because the engine's bad. Because if the engine of change is love, we are people who have chosen all different kinds of engines to power our change. We've chosen the engine of obligation. Like, I'm obligated to do this. Like, there's something that's going to happen if I don't. There's going to be some kind of consequence that comes my way. We've chosen the engine of fear. We've chosen the engine of performance, some of us. We change not because of love, but because we have been made to perform, and so we'll do it. But it's not lasting. The, the engine of appearance, like we want to appear a certain way, we want to look a certain way, we want to come off a certain way to other people. We've chosen the engine of proving ourselves. Like we want to make sure we measure up. We want to prove that we can do it. I think Paul wants to say it's always going to be the grace of God that propels change. He'll say in Romans to a different kind of church, he'll say, hey, that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God that becomes the engine for change. So today, I I must no longer live like God's grace doesn't call me to change. Uh, That word live in the original language is this word that means walk. I must no longer walk like the grace of God isn't going to call me to change. I'm going to invite the band up as we close today. Something that we need to know today as we come to the end of this, I believe, is that our mind is always going to be pulled before our feet are. Like it's, all going to, it's always going to start in our mind. Before our feet go anywhere, uh, our mind has already been there. Our, our mind is the great inviter of our feet. And so when you think of just the biblical story, you think of this man, Judas. And Judas is this guy who follows Jesus, has all these meals with Jesus, spends all of this time listening to his teaching, and he develops a plan with the religious leaders of the day, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees to betray Jesus. And so kind of their deal is that He's going to let them know where Jesus is going to be and they're going to give him some money. And so this happens and they're in the upper room and Jesus kind of turns to him and he's like, hey, like, go do what you have in your mind to do. And he does that. And he sells Jesus out. And of course, when you think about that story, that the soldiers didn't need Judas to find where Jesus was. But it's this, the gospel writers talking to us about the power of betrayal. Because when I read that story, what I get so frustrated with is so many times the implication is like, either you're Judas or you have a friend who's Judas, so look out. And it couldn't be further from the heart of the gospels. The heart of the Gospels is to say, Jesus has been betrayed, but so has Judas. Judas gets betrayed. 
by his own desire, by his own greed. And does that start in his behavior? Does that start in his feet? I would tell you, I don't believe it even starts in his heart. I think it starts in his mind. And if we're going to be different, if we're going to be changed, if we're going to resist the pull of conformity, if we're going to refuse to live like the grace of God doesn't call us to change, I believe it's going to start here in how we think. And so I just want to ask the church today, like, like what needs to change in your thinking today? Not, I'm not attacking behavior today. I'm not calling out behavior today. I want to, I want to circle around our thoughts. And so how do you think of yourself in the sight of God? And how do you think of others, the people who are next to you in the sight of God? And how do you think of God? I would just tell you that your answers to those questions are, is going to be a megaphone for your feet. It's going to be a magnet for your feet. I think your feet are just going to follow what this says. And Paul will say in another place that he would desire for this church to be transformed by their behavior. No, be transformed by the renewing of their mind so that then they might be able to do what? To test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. So what needs to change today? It's not going to happen by trying harder or behaving better. The engine of fear is a bad engine. It's a cold engine. It's a dead engine. It's not going to leave you anywhere. Obligation is a bad engine. But the engine of love is going to create the space in that you need to have enough curiosity to take a moment inside and to consider how it is I'm thinking about myself, how I'm thinking about God, how I'm thinking about others. And that's the invitation today to resist the pull of the crowd. Because it's easy to feel that when we're in the crowd, like there's greater truth in the crowd because people are walking in this way. People are cheering in this way. But God's called for us to be different. He's called for us to be changed. And I need to be changed. I need to be renewed. I need to be different tomorrow than I am today. And it's not going to come by my own effort by my own desire, but it's going to come from understanding at the core of my being, I am beloved of God. That engine will purr in such a way that my feet fall. We pray with me, Lord God, we thank you today for the goodness and power of your grace. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help us to consider today what needs to change in us. What needs to change within us? How do we need to begin to think differently? How do we need to continue to consider in maybe some different categories who we are as people and who you are as our Savior, Redeemer, and Savior and friend? and who the people around us are because God, we do not want to pretend. We don't want to live like your grace is never going to call us to change. We know that it is. And so God, I pray for renewed minds in this place today. 
I pray for a change in the way that we think about ourselves and about you and about others. And I pray that that would impact the the path that we are on in life. And so for the person who is here today who really does not like themselves, the person who is here today who is really hard on themselves, the person who's here today that even now is giving a list of excuses why this doesn't include them, God, I pray by your spirit you would break through in their mind and you would renew it in Jesus' name. And for the person sitting here today who has a way of thinking about others that is judgmental and bitter and cold and distanced, Spirit, would you break through that in the name of Jesus and that you would bring renewal so that we would see other people around us not as fitting into categories but as recipients of your grace and bearers of your divine image. And God, I want to pray for the person today who not just has some wrong ideas about who you are, but who has some destructive ideas about who you are. And those ideas about who you are have kept them not adopted, but outside. And it's got nothing to do with you keeping them outside, but their frame of mind has caused them to believe that they could never be good enough, they could never belong, they could never have it together enough to be loved of God. God, break through today in our minds and we will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the one who came because he loved us. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together.